The title of the message this morning is Bequeathing Faith. Bequeathing Faith. The other day, I was, um, I was watching a show called Marketplace. It was one of those expose shows that, uh, that tell how scams are committed in everyday commerce. And they were looking at a bakery in, in which it was a practice to top cakes with fruit and toppings. And when the fruit began to grow mold... They would just scoop the fruit off and the icing off, and they would retop it and put it back in the case. That's a horrible practice, isn't it? But one has to take note of just how easy it is to remove and replace an ornamental layer. We'll come back to this. But I got a question for you. Has this year seemed a little different to anybody besides me? I mean, just a little. I mean, it it's, it's, seems just a little strange. You know, back in March, there was a, a rhythm to life. We had church every Sunday, whether you wanted to or not. Students went to class five days a week. And there were parts of parental life that those of us that, that have small children, you know, that we basically hired out. You know, uh, because we considered people uh, to be more qualified than ourselves. But this morning, I want to talk about the fact that there's a danger in that. You know, for years, people have pushed the issue of separation of church and state until faith has become no longer compatible with the classroom. So we send our kids to school where they're asked to check their beliefs at the door for 34 of their 168 hours in a week. You know, and that's really not much time, is it? It's really not much time. Uh, uh, 34 hours out of 168, that's not much time. But the issue is not the fact that we ask them to check their faith for 34 hours of the 168. It's where we ask them to do it. Now, I know that, that, that 34 hours doesn't seem like a lot, but school is the place that they're told that prepares them for life, that prepares them for a future. It's the place where they learn important things that they need to know. And we tell them that they can't take their faith there. There's such an emphasis on education, and don't get me wrong, education is incredibly important. It really is. In fact, it's so important that during this pandemic, you remember what happened, don't you? They canceled school. And after a while, there was a huge uprising. You know, and, and people began to protest and say, we've got to get back in school. Kids are getting behind. You know, we have to do something. And people began to protest to try to make sure that their kids weren't falling behind. My wife and I even began to look at homeschooling to make sure that Anna, Annabelle didn't fall behind in this situation. And as time passed, society began to move school into the essential category. And parents rose up to make sure that their children could return to the classroom. But what a faith. During this time, during this crisis, parents also called churches everywhere repeatedly and they clamored for ways that their kids be exposed to the word of God, that Sunday school reopened again and that somehow we could not lose a generation of faith. Oh, 
That didn't happen. I'm afraid that we've allowed our faith in God and knowledge of God to become an ornamental layer to be scraped off and to be replaced with something else. Now in this sermon, I'm gonna say things about our children. If you have young children, you know this applies to you. If you have kids like, like I do, you know that I'm talking to you, but I also wanna let you know that I'm talking about our children as the body of Christ. Our children as far as the children here in Pittman Park. Our children as far as those people that we run into that are younger than us. You see, we're responsible for them as spiritual parents. I had a lady in my life, at the age of nine years old, she lived down the road from me. Her name was Miss Dukes, okay? And Miss Dukes uh, was, was getting on up in age. And she no longer could take care of her yard. And she actually called my mom and dad and she said, I, I know you've got two kids and I really need somebody to cut my grass. Could you send one of them down here and, and I'll pay them to cut my grass? At the age of nine, I started cutting Miss Duke's yard. Me and my brother ended up catching, uh, are cutting 36 yards. Uh, we had a, a little business that we got going. But it started with Miss Duke's. Now, Miss Dukes, I think, had an ulterior motive because I would cut for 10 or 15 minutes and the next thing you know, she would come out with a glass of water and, and she would hand me that glass of water and she'd say, turn your, turn your lawnmower off for a minute. And she'd talk to me about Jesus. I'd crank my lawnmower up and I'd cut for another 10 or 15 minutes and she'd bring me another glass of water and she'd talk to me about Jesus. I was her kid, she was my parent, and the Lord. Let's dig into this passage a bit. We're in Psalm 78, verse one. It says, give an ear, O my people, to my teachings. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. This psalm was written by a fellow by the name of Asaph. And Asaph was a prophet. He was a Levite. He was a musician in King David's court. And he commands the people to listen closely. And he basically says, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's of the utmost importance. But you better listen really close or you're going to miss it. Psalm 78, it says, Give an ear to my, peop my people, to my teachings. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. Now the parable he's going to share is the rest of Psalm 78. And it's the history of God's relationship with Israel from their going out of Egypt to their entering the promised land and even into the, king, the reign of King David. The other day, um, I've been really blessed. This year, we have changed uh, the way we're doing school. Annabelle's in a new school, and, and the other day, she had a test, and she was preparing for this test, and it was a test on Bible. And I'm a pastor. I know this stuff. So I, I said, I, will you call these out to me, see if I know them? And the first thing that she said was, who is Abgar? Do you know who Abgar is? <laughs> I didn't. I absolutely did not. He, he is a guy that is mentioned one time in Judges in one sentence. But, but then she went on to, to talk about 
a pattern that happened in, in Jewish life, in the, in the life of the children of Israel. It was a cycle. And the cycle went like this. It was idolatry. It was bondage, repentance, deliverance, and then rest. You know, this is the reason why we study history, isn't it? Because we can look back and we can see patterns. And in the life of Israel, this was a pattern that emerged over and over and over again. It's really important that we study history. There was a fellow by the name of George Santayana who stated that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So it's really important that we study the past. Now God said it like this in Deuteronomy 4.9. He says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your children after them. Now most of you grew up here knowing the stories. How many of you sang Zacchaeus was a wee little man? <laughs> Yeah, you knew about Zacchaeus, you knew about Adam and Eve, you knew the story of Jonah, the story of Abraham, Moses, David, and Goliath, Ruth, Rahab, and Esther. These are stories that once saturated society to the point that they were considered common knowledge. And many of us had children's Bibles at homes and other people had parents that actually read these stories to us. We heard it from our family, we heard it from our church, and we heard it from our community. But these days, you don't hear it in the community, do you? It, it's, not, it's not considered appropriate. And these days, with COVID, we don't know whether we're going to have church or not. So where are the children learning the stories? Where are they hearing it? Where is their faith life being fed. At some point, the church, in most people's eye, became responsible for the teachings of these stories. A whole lot like uh, the way that the schools have become responsible for education. When I was a teacher, I actually heard this. This was told for true. One of my colleagues was telling me that they, they had this problem with this child. He was just a mess in class. I mean, he was bullying everybody. He wouldn't do his work. He never turned in his homework. And, and it was, he was just not studious and also a huge disruption in the class. Well, I said, what did you do? And the, and the person said, well, I called their parent. And, and I said, well, what happened? Well, I talked to the dad. And I said, well, what did dad say? The dad said, hey, listen, I don't call you when I'm having trouble with them on my time. You don't call me when you're having trouble with them on your time. <laughs> that was told for true. He was saying that, that it's your responsibility, that, that his education was the school's responsibility. And in a lot of ways, we've said that to the church. We said to the church that our kids' spiritual education, our kids' spiritual development, our kids' spiritual nurturing is the church's job. And don't get me wrong, it is. But in the Hebrew culture, there was a rabbi, he was a teacher, okay? There were preachers. But, but there were also moms and dads. 
There was the Shabbat, the Sabbath, and there was the high holidays where the dads and the moms would stand up in the home and they would worship in front of their kids and they would bless their kids and they would tell the story. In Exodus 13, when God established how the Hebrews would celebrate Passover, it was just an elaborate tool to teach the children. And they were told to do it around the table at the house. Now, I really believe that one of the blessings of this COVID crisis is to drive faith deeper into our society than just the ornamental layer. That God desires responsibility for our children's spiritual growth to be rooted in our homes and at our table. And I think he's desiring to be once again, Emmanuel, God with us instead of God at the church house. I think God wants to be with you at home, wants to be with your children at home, wants it to be so deep that if, if all of a sudden we can't go to church for three weeks, we're still growing spiritually. We're still fellowshipping with Jesus. We're still talking to one another and encouraging each other and building each other up. I think that's what he's desiring. And I think that's a part of what's going on in the way that God can redeem this COVID situation. Now, Mindy and I have tried to heed what we hear from God saying in this situation. And now it's not perfect. I mean, we're not. But I'll tell you one thing that we've done. There's a children's Bible. And it sits on the corner of our dining room table. We still eat together as a family uh, at least once a day. And, and every time we sit down to eat, we do two things. We pray and we thank God for the food and all the blessings that we have. And we read a story and we talk about it. Now, could we do better? Sure we could. Years ago when I lived in Dublin, I was a kid, but I had the, 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 the incredible blessing of being able to lead a young man to the Lord. And he was one of these people that was so hungry for God. He was so excited. And I'm talking about he just caught on fire. And, and one day I was over at his house and, and we were talking about his new life in Christ and, and everything. We were fellowshipping. It was great. And I looked in the living room of his house. And something caught my attention. Beside the quintessential lazy boy, dad's chair in the living room, there was a tattered old Bible laying on the floor. And I said, what is that? He said, oh, that's my dad's Bible. He comes home from work every day. He sits down in his chair and he reads it. Now, I was feeling so, so wonderful about leading this young man to the Lord, but I'm here to tell you that I didn't. All I did was close the deal. His dad had laid the, he had, he had plowed the field. This boy had watched his dad exercise his faith for years. Psalm 78. Give an ear, O my people, to my teacher, teachings. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old things that we have heard and that we have known and that our ancestors have told us. And it goes on to say, we will not hide them from our children. 
This is actually, this, this little passage right here, we will not hide them from our children, we will tell the coming generation. This is a Hebraic couplet. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a way that the Hebrews would write, and they would say the same thing two different ways. But surely, we as a people would not hide God from our children. We love God, right? We do. I don't think we would do it intentionally, but we have lives that are so full. And sometimes I feel like that, that God becomes a... a Kind of like, have you ever seen the Where's Waldo <laughs> pictures? There's so much going on that he's there, but he's just there and he blends in with so much other stuff and, and it's just one of the, the many, many things. It's just an add-on. I think we're hiding him. It's just that he gets camouflaged. I don't think we're hiding him intentionally. He just gets camouflaged against all the minutiae. I think that we have to be intentional about raising our kids in the admonition of the Lord. I think we have to be intentional about nurturing our children, about sharing our faith, about passing it on to the next generation. I think we have to make it a priority. Because the truth of the matter is, is that a generation could pass without faith. How sad would that be? How sad would that be? Well, now I'll tell you, it's easy to look and see where we've missed it. It's easy to play armchair quarterback and water cooler politician. It's always easy to point out what's wrong. But let's look at the scripture for some answers. What's the psalmist saying that we should teach our children? It goes on to say, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We will tell of his glorious deeds, his might, and the wonders he's done. Have you seen his glorious deeds? Have you seen the wonders that he's done? Have you walked out and seen the blue sky? Have you, have you looked in the eyes of a small child and heard their laugh? Have you pondered where the universe came from and how it all works together in perfect harmony? Have you figured out that we live in a little stream of light in the middle of space, and if it weren't like that, we would not survive. Have you pondered the great things that God has done? Have you tried to be really good and failed and had guilt eat you alive and run across the scripture that says that his mercies are new every morning? Have you been in a dark hole and picked up the Bible and had God say, this is what I have to say to you right now in your situation and had God lift your head? Have you looked around at the hopelessness of the world and seen that there's only one way that we can have eternal hope and that is in Jesus? The glorious deeds of the Lord in his might and the wonders he's done. We need to share with our children the wonderful things that God's done, the praiseworthy thing, the powerful things, the things of wonder. Our children should be awestruck at God's wonder and so should we. The other day I was looking at Mindy and, and, you know, with all the stuff that's going on, COVID, politics, race, everything that's going on, you look around and it's just negative, 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 negative. And we are saturated in this. We are marinated in this. And I looked at Mindy the other day and said, Mindy, my praise life 
is not where it needs to be. How are you feeling these days? Colossians 3, 2 says that we should set our mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. In other words, we should intentionally begin to pay attention to who God is, to how great he is, to his goodness and his love and his mercy. All the things that he's done for us. We've got to do that if we're going to survive. But not only if we're going to survive, if our faith is going to survive, if we're going to pass on that faith and that hope and that joy and that peace to the next generation, then we have to have it ourselves. We need to be looking at his goodness, at his works and the wonderful things that he's done. We need to share with them God's mighty deeds that are recorded in the Bible. You know, a lot of people talk about faith and they, they act like faith is blind. It is not. God has given us a whole book of records that show that he's faithful, that show that he loves us, that shows that even though we've messed up, he's coming after us in love. Our children need to hear the stories. And they need to hear it from us. They need to hear it at the house. They need to see it affect our lives. Share with them about men and women that God has used mightily throughout history to have a faith in God. Check out some good biographies at the Christian bookstore. I'm just going to go ahead and stop there for just a second because my mom used to read to me. And I'm not talking about just when I was a little kid. I mean, she read to me when I was older. And one of the books that stand out was a book called A Prisoner and Yet. And it was by Corey Ten Boone. I will tell you, that book still talks to me. It's the story of Corey Ten Boone in, in Nazi Germany. They hid Jewish families and, and as a result they ended up getting captured and taken to Nazi concentration camps. Naked, cold, flea infested and they had joy and they had peace and they had hope. I'm telling you that talks to me. I am blessed. I am surrounded by everything that I could ever need or want. And there are times that I don't see the goodness of God enough to say thank you. Read some stories like that to your kids. Share with them personal stories of how God's answered prayer in your life. Let them see the impact of, that God's made in, uh, through faith in your everyday struggles and trials. Most of all, share with them what, what God did through Jesus in your life. Teach your children to praise God for his mighty deeds. It's their heritage. We can't hide it from them. My mom prayed aloud in the car. She read devotionals in plain sight. And even when I was older, like I said, she continued to read to me biographies of of people who walk in faith. Now in Romans 2, 4, it says this. It says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Uh, let me break that down for you. Repentance is a, is, a, is a $5 word. It's a churchy word. But it just means changing your mind. 
And when we begin to see that God is good, when we begin to hear the stories that he's done, when we begin to see his good works, when we begin to see how he's impacted people's lives and how he's carried people and sustained people and loved on people, then what we begin to see is we can trust him, that he's faithful. And when we begin to see that he's faithful and we can trust him, then maybe we can consider doing it his way instead of our own way. Psalm 78, 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So we not only should tell about our, the story of the history of humanity and the cycle of Israel, we should tell about the glorious works of God, but it also says we should tell about the testimony of Jacob. Now do you remember the testimony of Jacob? Jacob was a schemer. You know, if you talk to him today, he'd say, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. I got to do what I got to do to make ends meet, to get things done, to get things my way, to make sure I'm on top. And isn't that the way of the world? Isn't that the way we are naturally born is to take care of us, to try to get ahead, to try to, to make it, to try to, to do whatever we need to do to make sure that we survive and thrive. But the testimony of Jacob was that as he did that, he destroyed his family, he hurt people, and it was a terrible existence. And one night he wrestled with God about his needs, and God touched him in such a way that he never walked the same way again. The testimony of Jacob. Have your kids seen the testimony of Jacob in your life? Do they know that there's a way that, that seems right to a man but the end of his death, that, that there's a way that we can try to struggle and do it our way and there's a way that we can go, okay, listen, this is what God said and I'm gonna choose to do it that way. So we should teach our kids the testimony of Jacob and the law of Israel. The law here references the statutes of God whereby God shows us what's good for us and what is not. These days, there's a lot of people that want to decide that for themselves. <laughs> Look around. Mankind has tried to decide what's good and what's bad for mankind for years. How's that worked out for us? The thing is, is it, it all degrades into the fact that we'll take care of ourselves. But we should teach the Word of God where it says what God says will hurt us and what God says will bless us. We should teach our children the wonder of God, the testimony of Jacob and God's word. That the next generation might know them, that the children yet unborn and, the, they'll, and rise up and tell them to their children. We want, well, I want, out of my little two-year-old's mouth over there, she'll say amen now in a heartbeat. She'll dance before the Lord and raise her hands. She'll say, praise God. I want her to be doing that when she's 25. I want her to be doing that when she's 32. I want her to teach her children that Jesus is king and there's peace and joy that comes from that. It goes on to say that there's some benefits if we teach our children about the works of God and his might that if we teach them about the testimony of Jacob and if we teach them about the law of God, it says, so that they shall set their hope in God 
and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Asaph lists three benefits in verse 7, which we can expect our children will reap if we teach them these things. The first one is that they'll put their hope in God. That they'll put their hope in God. This should be our greatest hope for our children. Not that they might graduate at the top of their class or that they might become a world-class athlete or pull down a six-figure income or that they get married and settle down and have wonderful grandkids for us. Those things will be great. But if they don't trust God and put Him first in their lives, then what's it good for? Because it all goes back in the box. Children learn faith from people who practice faith. We cannot expect to lead our children any deeper in the Christian faith than we're willing to go ourselves. So we put God first in our lives and we demonstrate to our children what it means to trust God in the, all areas of our lives. And we model that. The only way we can bequeath faith to the next generation is to have it ourselves. Is to have it ourselves. Now let me tell you this. This is the point in time where the church the church proper is really important because you may have kids that are already grown. You may have kids that are out and doing their own thing. But I'm here to tell you that, that if you are, are practicing your faith right now, if you are connecting with Jesus right now, if, if you are looking at the goodness of God and, and responding to that right now, I'm going to tell you it makes it easier for the people around you to do the same. It does. It's, it's the same principle that, you know, uh, of, of the geese that fly. You're, you've heard that story about how the geese fly in a formation and, and it makes it easier that the drag is less and less down the formation. I'm going to tell you, as we practice our faith, it makes it easier for our kids to. It says that, that they'll have hope in God. And I'm here to tell you, I, I just want to say this. Did you know that millennials... Have, studies have shown that they are the most hopeless generation. They are the generation that have the least amount of hope. The most suicidal generation that has ever been is our millennials. They have more stuff than any of us have ever had. They have had the sum total of all human knowledge in the palm of their hand, the ability to connect with anybody in the world in an instant, and, and they drive nicer cars than we could have ever dreamed of and live in houses and, and live with comfort that, that we as children probably couldn't even fathom. But they don't have hope. It's our, it's, 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 it's our responsibility to have hope in Christ and to share it with them. That they would remember God's deeds. Now, why would remembering God's deeds or God's works be important? Well, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where things have looked impossible. It was a Goliath. <laughs> there have been times where I've done stupid things that got me in trouble. And then there's the end of the story of Samson. Do you see what I'm saying? We need to remember God's works because they testify to who he is. And when they testify to who he is, we begin to know him and we begin to be able to count on him and we begin to be able to have faith in him and it makes a difference. It might make the difference between life and death. And then it goes on to say, and they'll keep his commandments. 
Now, what in the world is talking about God's works and what he's done and, and telling about who he is, what does that have to do with us keeping his commandments? Let me say this. You have a stockbroker friend who's made a fortune in the stock market, okay? He has a lot of clients and they have made a fortune in the stock market. You've given them some money and you've made some money in the stock market too because he's invested it wisely. And he calls you up one day and he says, hey, listen, you need to buy such and such a stock. And you go, you can't make me. No, you're not going to say that. You're not going to say, hey, you can't put that law on me. No, you can't say, hey, you're being legalistic. You don't say any of those things. He has made a fortune himself. He has blessed other people by investing and, 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 and you've seen that he's faithful to, to bring them a return. He's brought you return and now he tells you to do something. It's not burdensome at all. It's, it's not a problem. I will get on it tomorrow. I will call and make sure that that happens. You see what I'm saying? You want to know how to change the world? This is it. Just a month or two back, I was in a hospice room with a man. And he was dying of cancer. He knew he only had a short time to live. On his mind was his salvation, and we were discussing that when the phone rang. I started to dismiss myself, and he motioned for me to go ahead and sit back down. The person on the other end was a loved one. He was a teenager. I listened as he urged the young man to pursue a life with Christ. You see, when it gets down to brass tacks, when it gets down to what matters, you know, that's what the bottom line is. Do you have a relationship with Christ? I want to believe that, that what this man said had an impact. But how much more of an impact do we have on our kids and on our youth than when they see us value God? That when we see that it is a priority, that God is a priority, that God affects us, that we see his goodness. It needs to be deep in our lives for them. And it needs to be deep in theirs so it's not just an ornamental layer that can be scraped off and replaced. Mark 8, 36 says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? So let's read this in the, in the message and we'll wrap this up. Listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of a proverb. I'll tell you, I'll let you in on the sweet old truths, the stories that we heard from our fathers, the counsel that we heard at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things that he's done. He planted a witness in Jacob and said his word firmly in Israel. Then he commanded our parents to teach it to their children. So the next generation would know and all the generations to come would know the truth and tell the stories. 
so that their children can trust in God and never forget the works of God, but keep his commands to the letter. I don't want to leave here without a call to action. First thing, are you seeing the goodness of God in your life? Are you disciplined to look for it? What does that look like? I don't know. Maybe it's a, a Thanksgiving list. You wake up every morning and write out what you're thankful for, what you thank God for. Or, or maybe it's a journal where you get a, a daily verse from the Bible and maybe you write a journal about it. Or, or, or maybe it's looking outside, walking outside in nature and going, God, you did this and you did this and you did this. Uh, how are you seeing the goodness of God? I'm going to tell you, in these days and times, it, it, it's healthy for us to set our minds on things above. The other thing is, is how are we sharing that with our kids? Now, I know that we have a youth program here at the church. I know that there are other youth programs in town. But we miss out on such a blessing when we're not involved with the faith of our young people. We do. The goodness of God is a real thing. Once we see it, we have to share it. So today I pray that we all see God's goodness in a way that we can't shut up about it. That we shout it loud enough that our kids can hear it with our lives. And that their kids, kids, and their kids, kids will also do the same.